All right. You get to study the Word this morning. That's a blessing. It's, you know, we go through the week and things can be tough, and they have been for, for me, for my family. We've had some tough news this week about some family members and things like that, and yet we get to come on a Sunday morning and just rest, get into the Scripture, know God more, and, and know that our faith is sound. And so let's pray before we get started. Father, I just pray you be with us in the teaching of the Word. In the study of the word, that we would grow in you, that we would, those who don't know you would come to you, that those of us who are in you, who are Christ followers, would grow in you, in your name. Amen. Most of you know I'm a lawyer, or mostly a pastor, but a lawyer also, or as in Tennessee, they call it a lawyer, and uh, they're probably right about that, to be honest with you. It's hard to argue. I mean, the word is law, but they say a lot of weird things, like they call shopping carts buggies. So, should we really be taking much that they say about language? In any case, <laughs> I've practiced law for a number of years. Some of that time has been spent handling family law, juvenile court, criminal defense work, things like that. And those are, those are difficult. Uh, in representing clients and that kind of work, I've seen cases that are terrible. Terrible. Terrible things done to men, terrible things done to women, terrible things done to children. It's difficult work to do that. And if you do it, it's very difficult to retain any kind of faith in people. Now, by God's providence, I was a Christ follower when I became an attorney, so I didn't have any faith in people. Uh, <laughs> because I know what people are like. Because I know what I'm like. Um, David says this about himself in Psalm 51.5. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Like David, I know my iniquity. It was there as early as I can remember, and for the times before that, my parents remember and remind me. I never had to be taught how to sin somehow. I don't know how that works, but I never had to be taught to be rebellious. Uh, not only did I not have any training in knowing how to sin, but I was instantly an expert. Very, very good at it. So I know what our hearts are like. I know what the hearts of men are like. These cases that I worked on as a lawyer, some of them were horrific, honestly, and because I was connected to so many other lawyers when I was practicing full-time, I heard about their horrific cases, too. I've seen the wickedness of men, the wickedness of women, and even children, uh, young people. Have, I've seen some things that are pretty terrible. But the people who have done these things are no different than me, no worse than me. I have also been wicked. I've also done wicked things and thought wicked things. We're fighting the spiritual battle for the hearts of men and women. And there are many men and women who are living lives of sin. And they're horrible, horrible lives. They're difficult. They're terrible. Terrible way to live. King David faced people like this, just like we do, and he prayed to God about them. Uh, as we complete, Lord willing, today, we complete our study through the first five chapters of the book of Psalms. So you won't see this uh, bumper for a while. Um, we're going to see David calling out to God for help with his enemies. His enemies, they were wicked people. They were rebels against David, but more importantly, they were rebels against God. If you were here for the last study on Psalm 5, we studied the first part of the, of the chapter, and we studied the last part of the chapter, and we concentrated on the importance of prayer. So David's praying here, and the blessings and joy and protection for the person who's committed to God, and David kind of lays that out. This time, we're going to read sort of the middle of Psalm 5 to finish out. And so if you don't have one with you, 
Uh, there are Bibles in the chairs by you, and if you don't have one of these at home, or yours is really old, or whatever, this is our gift to you today. You can take one of these Bibles home with you and read it. Please do. Um, there's life in this book. And so um, grab one if you don't have one, or you can look on your phone if you'd rather not use paper. But there's something about, you know, the, the paper Bible. So I hope you guys are able to use that. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 5. It's right in the middle of the Bible, if you're, if you're looking for it. It says this, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and will look up. Now we're going to get to the section that we're going to study today. It says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. And then the last part from our study last time. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. We can read this psalm and put ourselves in the place of David. As the righteous follower of God who is asking for protection from wicked people. And as Christ followers, as believers, we should read it that way. We are God's people. We can go to God in prayer for protection from our enemies and from God's enemies. But we should not forget that we can only do that. We can only pray to God like that because he's put us in a place to do so because of his amazing grace. His amazing grace. Let's walk through the scripture that we just read, just the part that we're doing for today and study it. Uh, let's go just verses 4 through 6. It says, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, this is similar, if you remember, when we studied Psalm 1, and frankly, when we went back and studied the Sermon on the Mount, we kind of talked about these two roads, right? These two roads. There's two ways to go. God's way, every other way. God's way, every other way. Narrow, wide, right? We talked about that. And, and here, once again, we hear, evil will not dwell with God. So listen to Psalm uh, 1, 4 through 6. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Sinners and ungodly people will not be with God. I know that that is difficult for some people in 2021, but these are the facts, have always been the facts. We hear about it here from David. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. There's no question. If a person is unrepentantly a sinner and an ungodly person, they will not be with God. They will not be with God. Only the righteous will dwell with God. The inheritance of the Christ follower is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But the wages for the sinner are death and separation from God. In law school, I took a class on wills and estates. 
So, you know, the thing that you write um, to give your stuff away when you die. I have a lot of debt, so just raise your hand and I'll write your name down and give it to you. In that class, we read all kinds of cases, including some very strange cases where people would give these massive amounts of money to, like, their cat. It's real. People would do that. They would leave money to their cat. Please don't do that. If you have a lot of money and you have a cat, don't put the two together, okay? It's just, it's just not cool. Just don't do that. But there are people who have done that. So there's a lot of weird cases in uh, wills and estates and trusts and that kind of thing. But I would read these cases of people who would make these silly demands uh, on their heirs. You know, my son gets the house and the money, but only if he marries this kind of person. Right? So now the son has to do this thing or he doesn't get the money. But the bottom line is that the person who was given the inheritance got to decide who gets it and what those people have to do to get it within reason. The law doesn't make, let you tell somebody to commit a crime or something to get their money. We who follow Christ have an inheritance. Just like an heir would have an inheritance. We inherit the kingdom of God. There is only one condition. We have to be perfect. It's the only condition. We can take the inheritance, but we have to be perfect. That's a difficult one, right? It's not some random condition either. It's a necessary condition because God is perfect, and he cannot have anyone dwell with him who is not also perfect. Now, that sounds pretty unattainable, and it is, right? We were born into iniquity. We have been sinners our whole lives, so we're not perfect. We have not been perfect, and so we haven't earned the inheritance, But this doesn't stop David from saying this. Look at the first part of verse 7. But as for me, I will come into your house. Who does David think he is? He just prayed to the Lord and said, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. And David knows he's done wicked things. He knows he's a sinner. So why does he think he will dwell with God? Why does he say, But as for me, I will come into your house? He says it because of the next part of that verse, what he says next. In the multitude of your mercy... In the multitude of your mercy. David is relying on God's mercy. He doesn't think he can walk into God's house because he's got it all going on. He's relying on the mercy of God. He's counting on the righteousness of God to replace his iniquity. So that when God looks at him, he doesn't see his iniquity. Instead, he sees righteousness. Next part of the uh, verses here. It says, In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. David fears God, which is to say he knows that God is awesome, powerful, holy, perfect, good. And he also knows that God punishes sin. So he asks God to lead him in whose righteousness? In God's righteousness. Lead me in your righteousness, because David knows he doesn't have any righteousness. Listen to the book of Isaiah. This is uh, Isaiah 65, 5, second part of the verse, and 6. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these days we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We, you and me, we need to be saved because all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. When we go our own way, when we do our own righteousness, we pervert justice, we do wrong, we hurt people, we hurt ourselves. That's why the modern view of morality is such a filthy lie. I watched a conversation between a strong, solid, biblical Christian, teaches at a seminary, a really solid guy. And the guy he was talking to in this conversation, on YouTube, clicking around. This is, it was interesting. 
was a Christian who was a pastor of basically a postmodern Christian church. It's nothing like what you would recognize. And he would talk, and I would go, I don't know if I'm getting dumber or if, you, if everything that you say is just nonsense. It was really disheartening. The guy seemed like a nice enough fellow, but everything he said was nonsense. Everything that he believed, he acted like he was very thoughtful and deep and intellectual and all that kind of thing. But all he did was basically rejected everything the scripture said, everything biblical, in favor of kind of like a, ah, oh, we can't really know what's right and wrong. That was kind of his thing, right? But here's the deal, just in case you're wondering. We can know what's right and wrong. It's right here in the Bible. You want to know what's right and wrong? You don't have to wonder and go, how can we even know these things? Open one of these. God has not been unclear about what's right and what's wrong. He's revealed it in Scripture. He's revealed it in nature and the things he's made. We know what is right and wrong. The whole idea that you know what's right for you. And you can interpret the Scriptures and the Bible however you want. And after all... Is the Bible really relevant to us in the same way in 2021? And it was only written by men. And it was, well, listen, I deal with all that kind of stuff in, in the skeptics forum type things. But that mindset is just nonsense. And it's creating your own righteousness. You're creating your own view of righteousness. I feel okay about it. They're saying this, but they're just judgmental. They're just narrow. That's what they, that's what they like to do. If you ever get into a conversation with one of these uh, folks, it's all about how you're so narrow. Well, you're so narrow in what you believe. And like, so what do you believe? Well, I believe everything but you. So, so that seems pretty narrow to me because I don't fit in, uh, right? So in any case, people try to create human righteousness, their own righteousness. They try to make up their own morality. What's right? Their righteousness. And guess what? It's filthy rags. It's filthy rags. God is holy. He defines holiness. We have missed the mark. And as we read in Isaiah, we need to be saved. David knows this. He knows that he enters God's presence, not with his own righteousness, some righteousness that he happened to make up, but only by God's mercy. Only by God's mercy. Only in fear of God. Only when we want God to lead us in his righteousness, the only true righteousness, only when that's our mindset, are we going to be in a position to enter the kingdom? We have to want his righteousness, a righteousness we have not earned. So David, in his prayer, he goes on and describes the wicked, and he says, this is verses 9 and 10. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. David describes these people, and then he calls for God's justice on them. I think we have a hard time with this somewhat, or understanding this. I know that for me, it's difficult to get my mind around until I understand it correctly, because it doesn't seem like David's being very merciful for someone who had a lot of mercy given to him. He's asking God to cast these people out and to let them fall. And we generally don't wish this kind of punishment on our enemies. Now, of course, keep in mind through this section of what we're talking about here, that's not why he's doing it. He's asking for God's justice because he needs protection to continue to do God's plan. Okay? 
But this is how we're supposed to look at our enemies. Look, Jesus tells us this. this is Matthew 5, 43 through 48. We studied this some time back. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Easy, right? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're to love our enemies. We're to do good to those who hate us. But here's the deal. Not because they're our enemies. Not because they hate us like, oh, those are the people to be nice to. Like there's some sort of backwards thing there. We love our enemies and do good to those who hate us because we are to love them so we can be like God, who we're following. To be like our Father in heaven, to be like his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we love our enemies. Why? Because that's what God has done for his enemies. He has loved them. That's what God has done for me. If you're a Christ follower, that's what God has done for you. And he's done it for you if you want to become one. God loved his enemies. He loved them. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Didn't wait till everybody came around. Like, all right, as soon as you're good enough, as soon as you're good enough, I'll do the rest. That's not what happened. While we were still sinners, it says this in Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. We were sinners, enemies, and Jesus died for us. Not after we came to him, but before. Before we did, while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, Jesus showed us this kind of love. And so we also must what? Love our enemies. To be like him. To show the kind of grace that he's shown us. That doesn't mean that the people aren't your enemies. It's not what he said. He didn't say you don't have any enemies. He said love them. He didn't say nobody hates you. He said love them. And it doesn't mean that God won't bring judgment. You do probably have enemies. There are people who hate Christ and his church, and God will judge them. If they don't turn from their sin, if they don't repent and come to him, they will receive judgment. He's very clear about that. I don't think David is a person here who has no mercy. I think he's asking God for justice because God's justice is good, and we should desire it. It doesn't mean that David would not prefer that these people would repent. I think that would be his preference. doesn't mean that David doesn't want these people to turn to God and live in God's righteousness and experience the same mercy that David got, that he experienced. I think he'd rather have that. But if they will not turn, then David wants to see God bring justice. And specifically here, David is looking to God for protection. These people weren't about to turn. They were about to harm David and harm what God had called David to do. So he's praying this for them. And it's okay to pray for God's protection against your enemies, that, he, that, that we might pray the same kinds of things. Lord, their plans that they're making, let them fall into their own trap. That's okay. But also at the same time, 
We want to pray for their salvation. We want to remember who we are. Sometimes we can be the other way. Sometimes we can be unmerciful. We can demand justice for ourselves when we have been shown a lot of mercy and yet we want justice for someone else. It's not difficult to get in this mindset, if you're wondering. Just wait till the next time you're slightly offended. Wait till the next time someone cuts you off on the road and your first thought isn't, they're probably having a bad day. I love them. Let me pray for them right now. <laughs> Let me pull over and slow down even more and just spend some time thinking about that person. <clears throat> next time somebody says something behind your back. Are you merciful? Do you understand the mercy you have received? It's a story you can find in Matthew chapter 18. This is verses 21 through 25. It says this. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Which is a lot, by the way. Jesus said to him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, billions of dollars in our money, billions. Okay, so this guy owes this king billions. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt, billions of dollars. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, less than 15 grand. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not, for each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We need to remember who we were before God saved us in Jesus Christ. You can't forget that because that's the glory of the gospel who we were and who we are. We can't forget it. We are debtors of an impossible debt that was forgiven. We could never have done enough to deserve God's favor to pay off that debt any more than you could pay billions of dollars off right now. And if you're in a position to do that, please tithe today. <laughs> we could use it. But you're probably not, and we probably never will be. And certainly when it comes to God and our debt there, there's nothing we could ever do to pass the test. We didn't earn our inheritance in the kingdom of God. It was given to us as a free gift of grace. It was given to us. God showed us mercy, and it wasn't free. It cost him dearly. Jesus Christ died for us. We have to stay humble. We have to constantly remember what God has done for us. We need to be like the tax collector in this next parable. This is from Luke 18, 9 through 14. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trust themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men 
went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. He's calling the other guy out right in front of everybody. It's rough. I fast twice a week. You have your reward. (laughs) I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A broken and contrite heart. Right? That's where we're supposed to be. We can read David's prayer in Psalm 5, and we can pray the same prayer, that God would bring justice on those who will not turn to him, and that God would protect us from our enemies. But in all of that, remember who you were. You were God's enemy. Some of you here today, some of you listening online, or some that may listen later, still are God's enemies. Enemies, rebels, people who deserve the justice of God, Punishment for sin and separation from God. Something that we all deserve. If that's you, if you're going your own way, if you are justifying your sin and creating your own righteousness, you've found a way to be able to continue to do the things you're doing that go against everything that God has written, that go against everything that people who love the Lord would tell you and plead with you not to do, but you have justified it, and you have your own kind of righteousness, let me just tell you, stop. It's filthy rags. It's filthy rags. It will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Only one thing will. Jesus did not sacrifice himself on the cross for you because you were pretty much okay. Because you were doing all right, but maybe you just need a little something more. That's not why he sacrificed himself on the cross. Not because you weren't much worse than the next guy or the next girl. He died for you because he loves you, even though you have been his enemy. Give up your pride and call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Scriptures tell us truly, this is Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you don't know Jesus, listen to this very carefully, please. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, I will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. (sighs) For those of us who are in Christ, we know what a blessing that is. There's nothing like going from death to life in the worst times. And and just let me tell you, I have suffered through really difficult things just like you have. But in the worst of those times to be able to hold on to my salvation, knowing who I was and what he's done and that I've called on the name of the Lord and that he saved me. If you don't have that, you need it. Don't let Satan convince you otherwise. Don't let yourself convince you otherwise. And certainly don't let the world, which is nonsensical, convince you otherwise. You need Jesus. You need to be saved. Our hearts need to be broken before God. Those of us who are Christ followers, let's remember what we are saved from because it is the glory of God that he has saved us. 
We make much of the name of Jesus Christ because of our salvation. Those who have not had a broken and contrite heart, who have not mourned over their sin, turned to God and had it taken away. If you haven't grieved over your lifestyle and over your sin and received forgiveness and salvation, the time is now. I cannot promise you tomorrow. That's the fact. The Lord is coming back. I hope now. (laughs) But I want to wait. And he's waiting that everyone who's going to come would come. The time is now. Please do not wait any longer. You can go from being God's enemy to being his friend. You can go from being God's enemy to being his son or his daughter. Stay right now. Everything can change. He will change your heart. Some of us need to be saved today. Some of us, we are saved. And we need to look to God for strength and protection. That's me. I need it. I can't do this. I can't do anything without him. He has shown me that over and over. How I've proved him or and or. I sure have not proved me or and or. I don't even know what or means, but I think over. Some of us need to look to God for strength and protection. Some of us need to cry out in our hearts, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We need to feel the embrace of God, of Jesus saying, I've paid for it. It's gone. Whatever it is this morning, don't wait. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you'd be with us. God, your servant David, boy, what a mess. He was in so many ways, and let you, you've let us see his life that we might see that our own lives, our own mess that we've created, also you will have mercy for us if we'll just ask for it. Lord, those of us who are in you, who once were your enemies, I thank you, God, that you saved us, that you don't look at my sin, whatever it is, that I don't have to come in here and be ashamed. Every day, new every morning are your graces, Your mercies, great is your faithfulness. You're faithful to me, to every Christ follower, Lord. And you will be faithful to those who your Holy Spirit has been drawing, whether they're online, whether they're in this room, whether they'll listen later, Lord. You're drawing them to yourself. Let everything else disappear except you and them as you draw them that they might call on your name, Lord, and be saved that they might make you king of kings and lord of lords in their life, that we might ask for your righteousness, that you might lead us. Lord, we love you. Go with us today. Be with Hunter once again as he goes on. Be with each one of us as you continue to call us. So many of us that you've called to this place. We're waiting for your orders as we walk forward ministering to others. Lord, we want to break down the gates of hell that you might set the captives free. Lord, I pray you would do that this morning. In your name, amen.